Episode 52 At last Kyle was on his way home. He had locked the disc with the poker machine specs, plus hard copy, in the safe in the back. He had a full tank of gas and a freshly opened bag of Cheetos, along with an ice-cold Pepsi at his side. He had an old Don Kirshner tape in the van's 8-track player. Kyle was rocking on. You see, last night he had landed on a rock in the river that he knew, right then and there, was perfect. He was going to stay on that rock until he died. He had been lying on the fold-out couch in his parents' office-slash-guest room, replaying the god-awful Smuggler's Cove dinner in his mind. The whole scene had been so insane. Imagine, all his life, the one thing Kyle truly wanted was for his dad to approve of his dream. A word or two of encouragement would have sent him over the moon, but he would have settled for a simple absence of contempt. Neither of these things had ever come to pass, so Kyle had spent his entire life trying to put his rambunctious dream to bed. Night after night he had lied to it so it would sleep. We've got the Lions Club coming up, the drug talk at the high school. The kids will laugh, and that's enough for us. No? Okay, then. Tomorrow, next year, we'll go for it. I promise. Go to sleep. Two years ago, he'd roused the monster accidentally, only to watch it flail about and break the furniture before setting itself on fire. He'd shoved it back under the covers and held it there until it stopped moving. It was finally dead. Then, at the very moment Kyle had finished his morning, Bert did an about-face. God only knew why. Maybe to make amends, since the old man was going blind or thought he was getting fired, both of which probably seemed like the end of the road to him. He wanted Kyle to have a chance like he himself never had. He resented the bejesus out of his son, but he'd hauled his old ass up and pulled those strings for him, which he'd sworn he'd never do again. He told Titus that Kyle's act was good. A hell of a Ronald Reagan bit. That was Titus's translation. His dad may have been more reticent, but still... The mere effort to say something not negative must have killed Bert. Showing his own flair for drama, he'd arranged a fancy dinner to announce the whole thing. And then and there, what did Kyle do? He said no. He pulled the rug out. He had other plans. Bert could not believe his ears. Even at breakfast the next morning, he was still muttering and shaking his head. But it was not this pathetic victory over his father that had made Kyle so happy. In fact, when he thought about it, the actual story made him miserable. Yet, when he had heard himself telling it in his mind, he realized he was practicing telling it to Jackie. He knew she'd think it was hilarious, in the way awful things, described in just the right way, always are. After everything they'd been through together, he knew Jackie would laugh. What a world, she'd say. Oh, what a world. Kyle could not wait to get home. On the other hand, opening at the Tiki Palace was not nothing. Not by a long shot was it nothing. A budding comedian definitely could do worse. It was a good-sized room, nice tables with candles stuck into the heads of little gods. Jesus Christ, who was coming to the Tiki Palace next Wednesday? What did it say on the marquee over the entrance, which Kyle had noticed last night but had been too discombobulated to take in? Rich, goddamn fucking little, that's what it said. Kyle had the chance to open for Rich Little. He slammed on the brakes and turned the steering wheel with all the force of a man seeing the flame of his final opportunity dwindle to embers. The van fishtailed across two lanes, hit the median strip, and went airborne. It landed on two wheels on the other side, screeching away on an arc as an oncoming truck blasted its horn. Crashing through the wire barrier meant to keep desert tortoises off the highway, the van bumped over brush and rocks and took an arm off a Joshua tree before coming to rest atop a clump of creosote like a giant tropical bird in a nest. Kyle rested his forehead on the steering wheel as feeling trickled back into his face. He looked in the rearview mirror and saw no blood. His body appeared to be intact, if soaked with sweat. The windshield was scratched and dirty, but not cracked. 
"'You okay?' he said to no one but himself. He found his hat on the seat beside him, covered in Cheetos. With shaking hands he brushed off the orange dust and placed the hat back on his head. His Pepsi was a bottle of foam. Carefully he turned the engine off and went outside to ascertain that the van's doors were still locked and its precious contents intact. All was evidently well. The safe remained bolted to the floor. The van was going to need a good bath, and a few dings would need to be popped out. Enrique would have to do some touch-up work. Kyle rested his back against the side panel, his legs wobbling. Kyle Majeski, he said aloud, you are one dumb SOB. In the bushes, some many-legged critter whirred and snapped. The desert lay all around him. Somewhere between Kyle and the low rock formation in the distance, a shape strode, swift as the shadow of a cloud. He'd seen it on the weird frontier a million times. The striding monster had been one of its promo spots. There could be no doubt. No human being had ever moved that fast, and no ape had ever stood that upright. The creature's fur reflected purple undertones in the sunlight. His stride was longer than Kyle's van was wide. Holy shit. Bigfoot was real. Not just myth-real, but really, really real. That meant anything could be real. Or not. Kyle would have to start over from the beginning and review. Were his parents real? Rich Little? What about food? God had just rebooted his whole life. Kyle knew nothing at all. But this was no time to stand there wondering in the sun. His future, fame, fortune, total comprehension of the universe in its true form was getting away. And so he ran. His right foot splayed out wildly as his cane lay useless back in the van. His chest began to ache. His new boots bit into his feet. He stumbled over scrub and rocks. Kyle would never catch the creature, and even if he did, what the hell was he going to do? Shake his hand? He didn't even have his video camera. Not even Topper Moss, wherever he was now, would buy this story. His ears rang like a jet engine powering up. Dust encrusted his eyes and lips. He could not even see the monster anymore. He had slid into the shadow of the mountains. Nevertheless, Kyle ran. These winter days in the desert were made for running. Inside her foundation director's office, which was also still the mayor's office, Jackie laced up her shoes. As always, she eschewed the elevator and ran down the stairs, out onto the multi-purpose trail. The sun lit the glass pyramid's eastern face. Jackie ran through the town, which looked into both the past and the future. She ran through the neighborhoods. The houses appeared mostly the same as before, though water restrictions had long ago dried up the lawns. Xeriscaping with rocks and desert plants was the trend now. The cacti looked a trifle odd against the colonial revival architecture of the houses, but New Christmas Town was odd in many ways. She loped through the Sidewinder neighborhood, where the foundation had helped her mother fund an artist's collective. Yes, Tessa had arrived at last. After the dome had come down, Tessa had drawn herself up to her full five feet and announced, New Christmas Town needs me. That was true. Jackie smiled as she ran past her mother's purple house with yellow and orange trim, where Molly was, at this moment, receiving instruction in all manner of pointless crafts, just like her older sister before her. Molly was thriving, loud, mostly happy, given to the occasional raging tantrum that nearly peeled the wallpaper off the walls. She sang along to Katie's tapes in the living room, spinning in circles with her arms splayed. She'd amassed a glorious collection of tropical fish in a bubbling tank, which she stared at for hours on end. And what about Molly's older sister? Jackie had gone with Kyle several times to see her perform at the missing link. The patients were very good. Katie's strange voice had found a home in their disturbing songs. But she'd seen the furtive glances her daughter had exchanged with Hunter and known immediately that they were in love. That worried her deeply. Would Katie be devoured by Hunter's pain, which Jackie herself had always wanted to assuage? Or would she sing her way out of the link's stuffy confines and on to stardom? Would she be happy? 
Was she now? Jackie could not begin to say. All she could do was keep calling, keep coming to Katie's shows, and tell her she was good and that she loved her. Katie said she loved her, too, which was a new development. Of course, Jackie had not told Katie that she knew about Hunter. She didn't know how to explain that she admired her fearlessness. She understood what she was trying to do, better than Katie could probably imagine. But Hunter was the sort of person, Jackie would have to tell her, who was best loved at a distance, and Katie would never in a million years accept that. So what to do? In any case, Jackie wasn't going to tell Kyle. He definitely wouldn't understand. She ran along the river, now full from the winter rains. The rushing soothed her. She pounded across the wooden footbridge toward the former green space, now renamed the Harry Ricker Memorial Playa, where golfers were learning to enjoy the particular challenges of desert terrain. The animatronic sheep took the change in stride, grazing on sand and creosote contentedly. Jackie passed facility workers riding bikes or walking along the playa on their lunch break. They waved, and Jackie waved back. "'You're doing God's work,' she called out. She was glad to see them getting sun. They smiled, their masks hanging loose around their necks. She passed a group of homeless veterans, one of whom sat in a wheelchair pushed by Esther. Jackie waved at these men, too, though they did not exactly wave back. They were new here and still stunned. They didn't yet believe that they would really be taken care of. So many others, namely their country, had failed them in the past. Esther nodded as the man in the wheelchair turned to speak to her. Jackie rounded the curve to where the forest had once stood. She had dispensed with her earlier plan for a water park. Instead, Tess's sidewinder group would build a sculpture garden. Jackie had no doubt it would be weird, especially because they planned to make it out of all the gifts abandoned in the facility by New Christmas Town's former residents. Her heart sank. Now that the debris from the logging was finally gone, the area looked even worse. Before, it had been a sad ruin, but now it was nothing. A vast patch of concrete had been poured in haste, after the remains of the trees had been uprooted and sinkholes had begun to form in their absence. The blasted spot hurt Jackie's soul, and yet she ran past it every day to remind herself of what she had once done, instead of helping a lost old man. For that same reason, she had always kept the two gray river stones on her office desk. What the hell, she thought, weird or not, let Tessa do what she wants with this place. Weird art was not the end of the world. In fact, New Christmas Town itself was weird art. Anyway, she and Kyle could always laugh about it. He would be back from Vegas soon. Tonight they would go to dinner at Vichyssoise, a new restaurant downtown where you paid twenty bucks for a meal the size of a quarter. Jackie couldn't wait. She was dying to hear all about Kyle's adventures with his parents. If she knew her husband, he'd have at least one hilarious tale to tell. She checked her watch. Barring unforeseen circumstances, it would be one hour and forty minutes until she saw him. Her legs propelled her, powerful and fleet. Below, in the labyrinth of the facility, masked workers moved through the bright darkness.